0: Sami Aryan describes herself as a tech philosopher. She's also an entrepreneur with her own subscription Web3 education platform led by women called InPeak. After her appearance at the BSV convention in Dubai, I wanted to ask her about her work and her impressions of the BSV crowd who she was meeting for the first time. You're listening to CoinGeek
1: Conversations with Charles Miller.
0: So, Somi, thank you very much for doing CoinGeek Conversations today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Not at all. And um, let's start by talking about Inpeak, which is your education business for blockchain and Bitcoin. How would you describe it and what does it do?
1: It's a Web3 education platform, so um, it's all aspects of um Web3. So from the start, how do you create a wallet? Um, And then all the different aspects of Web3, NFTs, you know, crypto, DeFi, uh, DAOs, everything.
0: It's a subscription service, right?
1: Yes, it's a subscription service. But by the time this interview goes out, um, potentially we will have released our NFTs. So um, people will have the option of becoming a member through NFTs and NFT holders have some additional benefits.
0: And I know in a, in a previous incarnation, it had an emphasis on women. Yes. Is that going to continue?
1: Yes. So Fempeak is now becoming a subset of Inpeak. So in for inspire, in this together, inclusive. Right. It used and to the be the called know. Fempeak. Yes. It used to be called Fempeak. Now it's Inpeak, And then Fempeak becomes a subset.
0: Right. And so what do you see as the main um, jobs to be done in terms of educating people about Web3?
1: Oh, my God. There's so much because it's like a whole new world, right? So companies are turning into DAOs, you know, uh, the way that we interact with the web is going to be mostly through our wallets, you know, so there's just so much to learn about. NFTs are a whole new world, right? So, so much.
0: Well, let me ask you the very basic question for education. Uh, What is Web3?
1: So Web3 is the next incarnation of uh, the kind of internet that we have right now uh, in the current internet or web 2.0 web 2 uh, is a, a, a part of the internet or, or a um, version of the internet where we can read and write but we can't own digital assets so web 3 gives us the ability to own digital assets and that's that's really the main uh, difference because you can now own nFTs that can be worth as much as your house
0: right but if I start a website and put my content onto it. Don't I own that stuff?
1: No, not really. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, like you own the copyright to it, right? But the way that you can monetize with Web3, you can't necessarily monetize in the same way. Because let's say, for example, with my subscription service, people will have to use something like, you know, there are like third party um, things that are in the background, like say Stripe, you know, or different kinds of third-party providers that that we um, manage. And then when people pay, that money goes into uh, essentially you probably know how the uh, banking system works, right? So it's not like the money goes from my bank to your bank. There is like a, a central bank behind yeah. it, right? There's like this infrastructure behind it. Whereas with Web3, web you your content is tied into your wallet, right? And, and people can pay you directly to your wallet. So, so there's that ability to actually own, you know, own content or uh, to be able to monetize it in a way that you can't do with web
0: I think quite a lot of the hopes of Web3 entrepreneurs Hinge on the idea that people are very worried about their data being misused or, or people profiting from it, and also that they are very resistant to advertising and, particularly, personalized advertising and so on. I'm not convinced that those are fears that are very powerful, and that perhaps uh, pushing people to Web3 alternatives. Um, because they're worried about that may not be enough, and that there maybe we need something very positive to draw people into these new ideas.
1: I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. A lot of people think that oh, uh, because people don't like advertising, they're gonna you know turn to crypto. That's not necessarily true. I actually ran an um, a poll on my Twitter, uh, and I have talked to you know as i go to different conversations different different conferences unless you are in a crypto native environment most people don't really care you know they they prefer to have something for free and uh, they don't necessarily think that much that deeply about their um, you know their but data
0: is that a big problem
1: then um Yes and no. I think it's one of those things that you don't realize that it's valuable until somebody explain it to you. You know, just think about, um, us, you know, like I don't call myself necessarily a crypto native, but I would say that I'm more of a blockchain native because I actually learned about blockchain before I learned about crypto. So for me, blockchain technology was so much more interesting than the money aspect of it. I was, you know, when I first learned about blockchain around 2017, um, the first thing that came to my mind was that this is going to disrupt Amazon, Facebook, Google. That's what was interesting to me. And I think it's like one of those things is about education. If you learn about it, then you you see, oh, okay, this is really valuable. And, and you know, you, you learn about it. But the I think the barrier to education and entry there is that most of the time, it's very hard to get people's attention to even listen to actually take interest in that because they are bombarded by so much entertainment from Instagram to, uh, you know, to YouTube to um, TikTok. There's this short content, the reels, you know, and, and they're just so mesmerizing and, and they draw you in. So people just forget about these things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned your own introduction to blockchain. Maybe I could ask you a little bit about your own history and how you got into this, because I know that you fronted up a heavy metal band at one <laughs> <Yes>. point. So <laughs> yes. maybe you could tell me a little bit about that and how you got from there to blockchain, because it's not an obvious uh, no. link.
1: Well, uh, I mean, the heavy metal band, a uh, death metal band, that was like oh, a, a, yeah, that was like my, you know, I was a hobby for a few years when I was a student. in. Uh, I studied in St. Andrews University, um, I studied political philosophy and philosophy of science and technology and transatlantic studies. Um, got two master's degrees in those. I was doing a PhD. I had to hand in my thesis sooner because I ran out of money. I was an overseas student, and um, before that, I worked for United Nations and European embassies in uh, in Tehran. So I come from more of a political background. I, you know, I've always been interested in politics and philosophy. Um, and, and was this
0: kind of music? Yes. As a political it, yes, it side had. to it. Yes,
1: yes, it had, Um and it was. It had mostly to do with my upbringing in Iran, and like you know, I I came from Iran to the UK to study, and you know, I was I had a lot of anger. So yes, yeah, so I was going to say <laughs> yeah. anger,
0: perhaps, was the message. Yeah, exactly,
1: and. And then after four years of doing it, I felt like I wasn't angry anymore. And I just felt like, you know, uh, it was a bit disingenuous if I... Maybe uh, you're going to you know, go to
0: folk music or something nice mm, and <laughs> gentle now. Eh?
1: Well, nowadays I don't listen to music that much because I'm listening to podcasts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if I'm working, I tend to have quiet.
0: Right. but So how did blockchain come along then? So
1: um, if, uh, you know, uh, if, if the interest in heavy metal music is an indication. I'm an anarchist, you know, at heart. And coming from Iran, you know, I've always been against governments. I've always been against authority of any sort. So for me, uh, blockchain technology was really interesting because of the possibility of self-organization, you know, and and being able to organize ourselves without necessarily uh, governments or, or minimizing the impact of governments. On the other hand I was also super interested in AI. I did a lot of uh, you know a lot of study and and research on AI. I used to just like now I go around speaking at conferences about blockchain. I used to give a lot of talks about AI and I still do actually I had another one online yesterday. So um the way I see it I think that AI uh, could potentially really empower um Governments in in a way that uh, you know, that, that will uh, increase surveillance and blockchain, if it's used in the right way, could um, counteract that
0: So you're interested in AI more from the point of view of what a threat it might be yes yeah.
1: yes, yes. Uh, from a uh, you know from the viewpoint of you know uh, surveillance and, mm. and, and yeah would I mean,
0: you say you're a libertarian?
1: I don't like to put myself in any category, any kind of, you know, I don't hmm. follow, like I sometimes I speak to libertarians and there are things they say that I don't necessarily uh, agree with. But in general, I have an anarchist leaning.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so that was the interest in, in blockchain. Yes. And did that come into your life in a professional way at all? Or what were you doing at that time? And how did you get
1: well, Into. um at the time when I started doing a lot of uh, research on AI and blockchain, uh, I had a marketing agency. I still have that marketing agency. I own it, but I don't run it myself. And um, because of that, uh, you know I, and I made a documentary called The Millennial Disruption, which won several international awards. I interviewed people like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know when you know had uh, people like um, you know uh, from The Economist, Mary Claire, Bentley. And it, it did really well, that documentary, and opened up a lot of doors for me. And because of that, then I started giving a lot of talks around the world and um, talked a lot about the impact of technology on millennials and how millennials are, um, you know, like I'm an older millennial, you know, how millennials are this um, transition point between the pre-digital and post-digital world. And I see myself as a transition architect. I feel like we are in this century, we are... Merging with technology, um, I feel like we are moving. We are becoming something new. I feel like we are already not Homo sapiens anymore. I think we are something. We are morphing. Is into that something, something new. we
0: should be worried about?
1: Um, to the to the extent that uh, apes were worried about becoming humans, so uh, you know. So no. Yeah. Yeah. Not. Not on. Depends on from whose perspective you look at it, right? From the viewpoint of evolution, no because it's interesting, I embrace it, you know, and I want to know what will happen to the future of humanity. I want to be an active participant, not, an, not a passive observer. Um, but from the viewpoint of the fact that your life will be disrupted, then maybe yes.
0: But do you think that as these changes come about, there's a need for political oversight of of these changes to stop the kind of uh, abuses that you're worried about. And I think you you talked yesterday about how you um, were critical of Facebook and other tech giants in Silicon Valley. Do we need to get ahead of that curve in putting in place safeguards around what may emerge from this new technology?
1: If anything, I would say that, so we have now got a problem of nation state, and then we have the problem of um, the corporate state. They're both as bad as each other. So I don't necessarily think that nation state is our guard against the corporate state. And vice versa. And in fact, there is a very good chance that the corporate state and the nation state will work together, just like we will see, we see right now in China. So.
0: uh, As a kind of conspiracy against people.
1: Yes, because, because it it would make sense for them. It just makes sense. You think about, you know, in China, the, the nation state and the corporate state are essentially one and the same. So it would make sense, you know, if, if, I were the government uh, and I would see that, you know, we have these corporate states that have got all the data about our, um, you know, our users. So it would make sense for us to work together. So if anything, I see decentralization as a hedge against that. So the more, the sooner we educate people about decentralization and make them realize that CBDCs are not the type of crypto that are decentralized Mm. and make them realize that, um, you know, Facebook's meta is not or meta's metaverse is not a decentralized, um, you know, metaverse. So if people understand these things and they extract themselves from these systems, we have a chance of not becoming China.
0: Right. So you're... Putting quite a lot of emphasis on the idea of decentralization, that sort of to you is the key to avoiding these problems from either the state or the corporate sector, think, is that right?
1: I think that it's the best hedge we have so far, right? I don't necessarily think that it's, um, you know, it's the uh, the end state of where it can go, uh, but uh, it's one step in the right direction.
0: But... I mean, I, I just almost wonder whether decentralization is possible anymore because the, the the communication links between people and all the things that they do are so rich yes. that um, a world in which you know different villages in different countries found it hard to communicate that 's a decentralized world. but can we ever get to that with the level of sophisticated technology that we 're talking about
1: I think that we can uh if we teach people more about self-custody, you know, and, and um, there is, look, we have a small window of opportunity. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But that's the truth. We have a small window of opportunity, I'd say three to five years. But
0: it, it seems like your message is a political one rather than a technological one, really, isn't it?
1: How, um, how do you separate these? Well, you you might be just
0: saying, here's Web 3. Now, if you do this with it, all great things will happen. But you're not. You're saying um, we need to think about the control systems and who's in charge. And those are what I would call political.
1: Yeah, that's why I call myself a tech philosopher. It's not necessarily political, but philosophical. It's about um, human integrity. You know, to what degree do you want to have that uh, to, um, you know, maintain that human integrity? Uh, So you could call it political, I would say it's more, you know, I study political philosophy.
0: Right? Yes, yes, sure.
1: Yeah, so so I'm, I'm a Nietzschean, right, and Nietzsche talks about the ubermensch, you know, like this, this um, uh, advanced human that can decipher things, they can decide for themselves, that's constantly self-overcoming.
0: That's the direction we should be heading in.
1: I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm advocating for.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> well to-
1: But it does put a lot of emphasis on the individual. yeah And it's very hard. Like it, you know, I appreciate that not everybody can live like you know, the way I do, right? It can be quite intense because you're constantly learning. Like I haven't watched a single Netflix series or movie for two and a half years now. Like like, literally, right? Like literally, I have no Uh, entertainment.
0: And what what point are you making by saying that?
1: That I am very conscious of how I spend my time, right? So during the pandemic, the first two weeks of the pandemic, um, the number of um, Netflix users went up by several million, right? 20 million or something. And at that time, I started a whole new business, which is now valued at over 25 million pounds. So, like, you know, within that time, I built a whole new business um by educating myself about completely new fields and, and new things. Right. But that was the time that many people chose to watch Netflix and spend time chilling. You know, so it's like it's hard because the type of um life that I'm inviting people to live is um is is going against the grain of how you are being programmed by Meta and by the governments, right? And
0: uh, Some people might say, well, you know, we can't all be sort of high-powered entrepreneurs. I'd rather just relax and watch Netflix. That's fine. Thank you.
1: Yeah, then that's okay. So what what will happen is that um, I think we are going to be ending up with a society where there's a top 5% that are going to do all the creative work, you know, maybe 5 to 10% uh, that do all the creative work and everybody else will be sitting home watching Netflix.
0: Well, but also and, w- and kind of almost worse than that is that the top 1% who own sort of like 90% of the wealth and the 99% who don't.
1: Yeah, but don't you think they deserve it? Because if they work hard for it...
0: Well, they might not have worked hard. It might have just sort of fallen into their laps somehow.
1: Maybe, but most of the people that I see, most of the entrepreneurs that I see, they work very hard. I work 15 hours a day. Right. Right. Like most of, like I I'm yet to come across entrepreneurs that just things just fell into their laps. Right. Right. Like I'm surrounded by people Have who are Have you met very, investment bankers? Well, they're part of the old system, right? right. But in the, in the new in the kind of like new decentralized world and like, you know, people who are I know I'm I'm uh surrounded by people who work very very hard.
0: Yeah. yeah no, I'm not I wouldn't argue with that at all. Well just to sort of bring this down to earth we're here at the uh, Dubai uh, conference for Bitcoin SV you're somewhat new to Bitcoin SV I yes. think. What are your impressions of the the crowd that you've met here?
1: Fascinating. I'm I'm learning quite a lot. So what I'm seeing here I think the visitors and and the uh, people who are coming here uh they're definitely not crypto native. They're very new to the space and they're learning. So it's very, very different from, you know, things like um, uh, permissionless and, and, you know, these types of consensus and things like that, which is like mostly crypto native. So it's it's really interesting to see their um, reaction because to them, blockchain is blockchain. They don't realize the differences. They don't know. There's so much they don't know. They're like, they're... um, really early so so they what
0: well, the people at this conference yeah. you think are rather informed.
1: yes yes everybody that i've been talking to
0: and what what is it the what is it that they don't sort of get
1: well for example yesterday uh, on our panel um kurt uh, asked kurt junior uh, uh, yes yeah. yeah he asked um uh how many people here know what uh, know what web3 is and We had one person raised.
0: You mean in the audience? Yes. I think they were worried that they might have to say something if they put their hand up.
1: No, no. They just, uh, like, we just asked if anybody had, we asked how many people had a crypto wallet, and, like, only a few hands went up. So many people, here, And then walking around, I was also talking to a lot of people, and they were, so people are in Dubai. My uh, understanding is that they're very uh skeptical of crypto in general you know and uh quite a few people came to me and said th- um, you know thank me for for the panel and they said that i just don't understand crypto uh, like they uh, you know i i don't understand it there's um like why is it uh, what is it backed by you know like they really really don't get it hmm. so um it's a very interesting audience i think it's like they need um a lot more of these types of conferences, a lot more education to even, they need to watch crypto for non-believers. Right.
0: <laughs> but the people who do know about Bitcoin SV, and there are a good number of them here yes. as well, yes. what is your view of Bitcoin SV compared to the, well, actually, people here actually don't even like to call it a cryptocurrency. What is your view of Bitcoin SV compared to other Cryptocurrencies. I
1: think it's early for me to to talk about this because I'm just learning more about it. But I just had a very very interesting conversation with um, a number of people who are working on NFTs um, to be built on uh, BSV, and um, very interesting, like a really different view to say Ethereum NFTs. In what um, way? Um, so they are not going for the crypto native, uh, you know. Crowd, they are. They don't care. They're if reaching you out
0: to the wider, audience. the wider audience, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: And I think that could be interesting, you know. And I, I will be definitely following the, um, you know, the, uh, the journey. And you know, I, I really want to learn more. Uh, you know, like I said uh, yesterday, um, the way I see it, Ethereum is like Apple. It's you know, you go into the system, it's expensive, um, and uh, you know, you're you're locked in. Um, but it's got that kind of legacy feel, you know, like it's, it's got the high end feel and it is expensive. It's not for everybody. Uh, and then, um, Well, it
0: simply wouldn't work for a lot of the applications that are being talked about here, would it? Because no. being expensive rule would rule it out.
1: Yeah. Unless then uh, you, uh, engage layer twos. And of course, we know that layer twos are very complex as well. You know, there's a learning curve. So, um, so, so Ethereum has its got. Has got its place, and you know it's not trying to be something else, unless maybe the layer twos are trying to kind of you know bridge that gap. And then there is, if if Ethereum is like Apple, there's room for a Microsoft, and it's yet it is yet uh, you know like to be determined who is going to be that Microsoft. I know that Solana is trying. Uh, it doesn't seem to be going that well. They keep going down, and you know there's a lot of growing pains there. So maybe BSV could um you know fill that
0: gap. Well one perhaps similarity between BSV and Microsoft compared to Ethereum is that BSV does encourage lots of different entities to take part in it and you don't it's not a unified thing in, yes. the, in the same way. So the comparison is potentially quite quite a good one I think.
1: Yeah, I think I think that um this is you know as a tech philosopher this is like uh, observation is is the thing that I do right and and for me I think that Ethereum is so similar to Apple uh, Mm. in many ways. And once you get in, you become kind of locked into that ecosystem. So like I have everything I have is Apple and it's a pain in the neck sometimes, you know, it's really a pain. But I am so locked into it that, uh, you know, that's like getting out is more painful than like, you know, trying to. So, um, So what I do is I have everything in Apple and then I have some Microsoft uh, devices that if I need to do anything that needs, you know, uh, more freedom, then I can turn to those. Uh, but but generally speaking, you know, I tend to uh, be in that Apple ecosystem.
0: Right. Well, we should probably stop in a minute. But just to finish, I wonder whether as somebody who's an educator and a philosopher, what would your message be to the, the BSV crowd here? At, at Dubai, or perhaps watching this watching this online, what 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 sort of direction and what sort of approach would you advise?
1: Um, I would say the main thing for me would be I need to really look into how decentralized the system is. I would say just whatever you do, don't forget that decentralization is the core of what this technology is supposed to be about. So as long as you keep it sufficiently decentralized, you know, that's in many, many ways, you know, that that um, keeps the integrity of um, everything crypto.
0: Going back to really what we said at the beginning of the conversation about personal ownership and personal responsibility, really.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah.
0: Well, it's been really interesting. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much to Somi Aryan. Next week, I'll be finding out about a pioneering business collaboration for the BSV blockchain, as Patrick Valaštick of IBM tells me about his work with Smart Ledger's CertiHash to create a new cyber security product. So please join Patrick and me next week for another CoinGeek conversation. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye.